Welcome to the Bike Run Tristoke podcast. Talking cycling, running and triathlon. We get life outside. I'm Paul Ingpen, editor-in-chief of Triathlon SPR magazine, mountain bike magazine, road bike magazine, and host of the Race to Stanford, Blue Lagoon, and Sprint Triathlons. We'll be hosting conversations with some interesting people who like to bike, run, swim, and multi-sport in general, getting to know them, getting to know what makes them tick, giving advice, and basically celebrating everything that's outside. This podcast was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground, where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Welcome to the Bike Run Try podcast with Zwift. I am really excited tonight because we are very honored to have age group world champion now for its third year because there hasn't been another Kona. So Donovan's been carrying this mantle, the belt, for three years, which he's enjoying, but obviously as frustrated as the rest of us in this insanely trying time. And uh, with us, we also have Trevor Hall, a practicing um, counseling psychologist. Trevor, a professional rugby player, prior professional rugby player from the Lions and played in Biarritz in the, in the professional Super 14 League uh, days. So... Trevor, thank you for joining us. Really great to have you. And Donovan, pleasure coming from Derbs. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. So we've all got to know Donovan. Um, if you're a South African and you're into sport, uh, endurance sport at least, you probably know Donovan from his title of being the Watt Bazooka, the man who takes it further than everybody else, trains harder, wins more, um, open book about his training, sets the bar, uh, that we all tend to look at and go, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to compete with a guy like that who is a practicing chartered accountant, he owns two businesses, he's got, a, he's got kids, uh, happy kids, a happy wife. I've known Donovan since for 10 more years. We've been racing together since he first started with his plane cigarettes on the way to races as an ex-bouncer. Um, fascinating person. You can always go and have a look at our previous conversation to find out more about him because tonight we aren't here to talk to Donovan about triathlon. We're here to talk about something a whole lot deeper and more meaningful. And uh, the reason we've been brought together is because in our conversations over the years, Donovan has very openly shared some inner demons and some some dark times in his life with me. I feel very honored by that. Um, I'm proud to say that it's been kept privileged and I would uh, like to share this in a situation and environment of trust where someone like Trevor can pick up on where we can all learn from what Donovan's been through because that's what's critical. I'm a father with two two daughters and um, over the last five years as they've become teenagers I've become more and more conscious of the messages that I'm putting out uh, constantly about being in shape, being fit, being ripped, whatever you might want to say and us athletes we can all relate to that because we always say that latte is faster, eating is cheating, we just want to go and be more disciplined and harder on ourselves and just get faster. We see Kenyans on TV like Chip Kipchoge weighing in the 40s and think, how am I ever going to compete with that? Well, I can just control my food. And orthorexia is, is control over food to such an extent that people can starve themselves. And um, tonight uh, on this podcast, Donovan's going to talk us through that. Donovan has been 120 kilos bouncer in his Stellenbosch University studies days. And um, 
he's he's been at a level that is here kick and explain which uh, you'd be amazed by that's had far-reaching consequences in his life it's got history to it and a deep story a very rich story and um trevor as a psychologist who works with a lot of sports people can hopefully pick up on where we can all learn and recognize symptoms in ourselves because i'm an editor who produced a magazine i'm holding in front of me with a guy with abs for days on the cover i uh, remain conscious of every time i eat i feel my own stomach on the way to a race and if i feel an extra flab roll i'm in self-loathing and uh, it's just the way we are and i'm in my 50s and i'm conscious all the time now producing content magazines that the message needs to be a healthy one because we can control ourselves to a certain extent but as trevor a psychologist with a lot of experience said to me he's also trained when he's a sports psychologist to help people block out stress but if you block out everything you become robotic and metronomic and that's great if you're just wanting to win but we're all wanting to live you only live once you don't have a second innings so if you want to have a happy healthy life balance is critical and we hear that every day it's a bit of a cliche but it's very hard to attain because media messages from people like me have covers of magazines with ripped people skinny people we worship champions like Jan Fredino who are born with a genetic body type same with the Kenyans um you know we all want to be skinny guys want to be bigger bigger guys want to be skinny it's always the same story we always want what we haven't got we're never happy with ourselves and we go through life pursuing other people's expectations and then we fall horribly short and we lead unhappy lives and uh apart from i guess surviving and to old age and getting through things like covid what we really want is a happy life because ultimately we're judging ourselves uh 99% of you listening are not professional athletes who don't earn a living from winning and uh nobody really cares if you came 5th or 10th or 100th or 100th or 200th in the comrades marathon the cape epic the ironman it doesn't matter your own family might be thrilled and you might enjoy a bit of um online uh, love on facebook and fame but it's it's meaningless and um yeah so i want to hand over to donovan to tell you his life story um because even a guy who looks at the surface like an absolute champion of life and is it and holds the creds of being age group ironman a triathlon world champion that for a south african is unbelievable that means he's beaten the best in the whole world every single amateur in the in the world who competed at the biggest stage was beaten by a south african who's got a job kids a busy job and literally has control over every second of his day and such extreme discipline and that's wonderful and we really applaud that for a lot of reasons but he's going to share with us what it took to get there thank you paul so i guess uh my uh, journey starts off uh, as a younger child i used to be a heavier one in uh primary school and as far as uh, kids go i often got the odd little abuse or chirp about my weight so i decided to act on it through when i went to high school then at 6 then at 7 then at 8 as we used to now grade 10 or whatever you call it and i unfortunately through the years took things a bit far to the point where uh one sunday night my lovely mother told me we're going to go visit uh my aunt that i haven't seen for many years and i told her listen uh, why would we go to my aunt tonight because it's school tomorrow and secondly uh i really don't want to go i haven't been there for many years and she said no we just have to go 
And as hard as it was for her, at the time we took a drive and we stopped at now the old, now it's a, um, a block of flats, I think, but it was the old Libertas Hospital down in Goodwood. And we, uh, I was a bit still a bit confused by uh, why we drove there. And she said, listen, she's sorry, but you've taken things a bit far and we have to do this. And I have to check you in as you have a eating disorder. To At that point, I was still completely in denial. And it was a difficult thing for me to accept. But anyway, we marched our way up to the eighth floor. And she said, I'm going to have to leave you there. Leave you here. Here's your talk bag. Here's the nurses. And she turned around and she walked away. And uh, my journey of recovery, I guess, started on that Sunday night. And I was diagnosed with uh, anorexia. A day of checking, I weighed 31.8 kilos. And I was 17 years old or turning 17 that year. So I guess uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. And I was, a, I was the only man and boy, because I was still a teenager in the whole hospital. I was only woman and it was uh, the hospital floor specifically designed for people with eating disorders back in that uh, back in that day and I mean the whole journey for me to get released out of hospital was about a just shy of a year I was in hospital on and off for probably six to nine months check in check out I the first goal for me was well not the first goal the the target was to get from 31.8 kilos to 45 kilos before I was allowed out. That took a hell of a lot of insure milkshakes and uh, food. Uh, I guess the worst memory for me, for everybody there was you. everybody had their own room, but the assumption always was with anorexia was that you normally, 80% of people with anorexia have bulimia because they can't, stop themselves from eating. So you eat and once you ate, you feel guilty and you throw up. So you put your finger in your throat and you vomit. I'd never, and you can see it clearly on ladies' hands, specifically their hands, the top of their knuckles goes dry from the acid buildup from throw up because you throw up on your own hands and that when your stomach is so empty, it chows your hands and the eye was the opposite side. Every time I ate, I had to move because I felt I well, if I ate like an apple, I'll go run up the stairs five times because I feel I burn it off. I wasn't bulimic, but I was standard rules. So no, no room at a bathroom or basin. So you get fed and you get locked in your room for two hours to make sure that you don't vomit because they can see you had to vomit in a bag or something because you would keep and they could smell it and there wasn't a basin for obvious reasons because you could flush it down. So I wasn't bulimic, so that was a little bit frustrating. Because number one, no one believes you. I guess it's like a drug addict. You shouldn't believe them because they have a problem and you tell a lot of lies. And the same with us. I mean, we had serious mental conditions. So it was a tough thing to face. But yeah, so it was a fairly depressing time. I mean, I got released out of hospital quite a few times after eating 45 kilos. I had to weigh in every week thereafter to try and stay on 45. I have the... I mean, I've got some, and I told uh, Trevor some interesting memories on that because every Friday I had to go weigh in at the hospital at 2 o'clock. I remember riding there on my bicycle and on my way there would stop at the petrol station, fill up a 2-liter Coke bottle with water and drink a shit like because I had to make sure <laughs> if I don't eat 45, you get checked back in. And that happened a few times where you on 43 and go back in for another week or month or however long it takes. 
take you back about 45 kilos. But yeah, and I mean, I eventually got out of there towards the end of Standard 9 and I met, uh, well, part of the journey is that when you have this illness, your obviously everything stops growing as a teenager. I mean, I didn't cut my hair or my nails for close to maybe two, three years. And also the other condition is that your, I guess it was in that stage where I was growing, so I had big issues with ligaments and hamstrings and all your, what do you call it? All your, 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 it's like when you stretch and what do you call those muscles? Yeah. yeah, all your muscle fibers and stuff stops growing and to get them reactivated, they have to go almost like learning to walk again, but it's more learning to use your muscles again because everything's faded away. So I worked with a physio a bit and started slowly regain some muscle movement. And during the process, as I got released out, I thought, okay, I'll um, get into the gym thing a little bit. And I met the guy in the gym and we started working out more in the beginning to get range of movement and all those kind of things back. And then as a fairly strong old person, I enjoyed gaining weight for some bad reason. And I started gymming and those that know me, uh, it didn't take me very long and I got to about around about 2005, six when I met my lovely wife. I was in the thick of my gymming and bouncing days and I weighed a casual 125 kilos. So I went from, <laughs> I went from 1998 weighing 31.8 to literally eight years later weighing 125. So gained about 90 kilos of, I don't know, I wouldn't say I was a ripped um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Fairly strong fella. That's incredible. And a gymming guy. And I mean, I I, the, I bounced, not mostly because I was big and I looked intimidating, but I can't fight. And I, I did that more for money because I was studying at the time. So, and it paid well. It paid, and I worked at Toys R Us as well. And the bouncing paid much more than <laughs> selling toys at Toys R Us on a Saturday afternoon. It was much more fun. We, you know, often watching the Troncos fall around. Yeah, so that, I mean, and so I went from as I told Trevor as well, the sad part was that at one point, I didn't want to eat anything, but I was scared of gaining weight, to eating so much that I weighed 125, but I stopped bodybuilding because actually I didn't want to eat anymore because it was just becoming too much to eat, to be at that weight. And I was, I never used um, steroids or peds or those things. So to be naturally a big guy, you've got to eat a lot as a small guy. And I actually just thought stuff this shit. It's just too much. So I try to find a better balance then. But also even then coming down, because then your goal is to be as heavy as possible. Now, once again, when you start losing weight, you actually, it was a big challenge for me again because it was like fear of like, now you reached all this big weight. Now you're dropping again. So yeah, I would, I'll set myself little targets, come down to 120 and I get there and it's like, nah, hang on, gain again. And then 122, then like, but it gradually came down over like a year or two. And I mean, yeah, and I am lucky to have found triathlon purely because I, when I finished studying, I studied for 11 years. I did quite a few degrees and I did masters and I did eventually finish my CA. And then I was so bored that my wife just said, you need to find something to do with yourself. Because I studied quite hard. I mean, I was like, I had a good routine. I'm a bit of a routine guy. So I had... Now, we had kids young, so I would once my wife and kids would go to bed at eight at night, I'll study till quarter to nine, 
I'll have two cigarettes outside. That's the reason I smoked because I was bored as hell to take a break. So I stood outside the dogs, had two cigarettes, and I'll study from nine till quarter to ten. Two cigarettes, go to bed, get up next morning at four thirty, study till quarter past five, have two cigarettes till five thirty, study till quarter past six, wake my wife and kids up, then I go to work. And then that was my routine prior to triathlon. So when that all eventually came to an end with um with uh studying being over and now living a normal life. I, I don't think I knew what normal was. It was weird. I had so much time. I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I started uh, as a little challenge, me and two friends who now not triathlon in much anymore. The one guy, you, you go, he in, <laughs> he, his last Ironman, he finished in uh, 16 hours, 53 minutes. He just made cutoff and he swore in his life he'll never go back because it was a day of hell. He didn't want a DNF and he didn't train at all. He, he took Ironman for a bit of a joke. And I spoke to him last week actually. And the last time he went back, he was a bit overweight and he barely made it. And he said that was the hardest. He had the, I was there watching him and he had the quad bike chasing him <laughs> at one very slow speed, but chasing him as he made the cutoff by seven minutes. And I think he might have been the last guy finishing. He might have been last or second last. It was very close. So... so. Yeah, so we started a triathlon journey and I mean, and then that helped me to find a little bit of balance with weight and uh, eating and those things. But I, as I, I think as I age, and I say that um, lightly as I said, you have a two older gentleman, I I find the, the, um, the need for focusing on food and weight and those things become more relevant as I try and stay relevant, because now it's a hard thing to accept. I mean, you're aging. I, for me, racing triathlon while I'm still competitive, and there's many guys that do it at an older age than me, but when I line up to race, I would like to race everybody still. I can't accept that I'm not 40, so I'm only racing the Oaks 40, my age group. I want to race everybody. If I, if I come fifth overall, but I win my age group, for me, that's a bad day out. I would still like to win. That doesn't mean anything to me. I want to race... And so trying to, as you age, you, it doesn't help just adding. You can't train more. You can't always just add more. You have to. So what do you do to keep yourself relevant? And for me, it's always a battle of, oh, I need to maybe check, watch my food, be a bit leaner. What is the other guys doing? But it always somehow circles back to uh, weight. And, 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 and I see, and I check comments on other people and I see how people often, it's a, it's a big focus area. And I mean, I like Paul said, I also have two younger kids. I'm very cautious. I mean, they, they don't know my full story. Hopefully they listen to this as well. And yeah, I can avoid them from falling into this thing as well. Sorry. Yeah, that's, you're a great dad and that's why that's why it affects you and why you're here, Donovan. That's why you're here to tell us how to spot this and how to avoid it and how to deal with it. Hey, Trevor? Yeah, it takes a, quite a bit of courage to actually sit here and talk about these things. And um, I suspect it's been something that you've kept to yourself for quite some time, or at least to your inner circle. And it will help. Yeah. Changing, changing times in your life and new challenges of parents and getting older and introspection begins. So, 
Yeah, I think for uh, for for uh, I've only uh, I think between Paul and maybe five of my closest friends probably and f- close family knows about the whole story. I mean, and for me it wasn't. I never wanted to talk about it because it always kind of when you've achieved something to refer back to it, it's almost like a bit of a rags to reach a story because now it sounds like. It's easy to say, look what I've achieved after all the stuff I went through. And I don't want it to be... That that, that is the case, Donovan. That's something to be very proud of because a lot of people get worse and fall apart from there. And you've proved that, I mean, that's incredible what you've achieved and the fact that you're now facing it and sharing it is wonderful for the rest of us, for everybody. Yeah, I think if I can, the message is for people that it is... um, for me, it's a, I see it the same as anybody with a mental, what's the right word? A mental mental issue, issue like depression. Hmm. We all fight things, I mean, differently. And, and one of the, the things I got when I spoke to Trevor last week when I did a debrief is the power of the mind. It's my, my strong willpower got me to be world champion in triathlon but at the same time I mean my the one thing that I cannot still can't figure out is the day I got checked into hospital I've got a picture that they took when they weigh you in in your underpants there like almost like my jail shot my mug shot is that I was turned sideways in my underpants and they took a picture and he turned this way and take a picture in my mind when I looked in the mirror I looked like I weighed 138 Every time I walk past him, I'm like, shit, got to lose a bit of weight. He's still not light enough. He's crazy. And if I look at if I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw this huge image. And then I look at the picture. I'm like, you must be shitting me. And like, if I turn sideways, this is bad. I mean, you can imagine. 17-year-old boy weighing 31 kilos is not a pretty picture. I mean, you picture. must have been a skeleton. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, my, these things, what do you call these? These two yeah. hip, big hip bones were standing out. And I, and I still can't understand how... The mind can be so powerful to send you on a complete another journey. journey that it tells you, listen, you are crazy. You're not, you're still big. You need to eat less. And then you look at the picture and you, and I can't, still can't, I wish I could go back and see myself then in the mirror. And sometimes when you look at yourself, do you see what really is or do you see what in your mind you want to see? And I mean, I often, I mean, people, and yeah, I, I walk past, we all do it. I mean, after a shower, a little bit dehydrated after a six-hour bike, you do a little bit of flex and you think, shit. And, and then I often think, <laughs> is that really, am, is this the Anfredino picture I want or is it not? And it plays on my mind and I, and I know, and, and, and the picture and the takeaway thing here for me is if, if I, in my mind, could, convince myself at 31 kilos that I'm huge. It is very difficult for us as human, pe- human beings to judge other people to know what they're actually going through. Because everybody's, your mind is a bloody strong tool. I mean, it can, it can help you suffer in long endurance. And that's probably the one thing that helps me in triathlon is that it, it, I can make peace with hurting a little bit and dig deep and fight the negative thoughts. But at the same time, those are very nasty thing when it comes to 
things like body image, body shaming, eating disorders. And there's lots happening. I mean, I unfortunately got anorexic just by five of my mates in a small school in Guru chirping me. And that was enough to send me off the cliff. I mean, in today's life, my kids, your kids, us as grown-ups ourselves are exposed to social media, Instagram. And I mean, if the oak from Romania is listening, I mean, one of my uh, funniest moments from Kona was that after I got the world champ title, the guy sent me a private message on Instagram with my one of my finishing photos asking, saying, listen, you look chunky. How much did you weigh at Kona? Were you heavier than normal? And I mean, that to me was just, it just ignites things again. Uh, we, we People comment and they say stuff without thinking how someone else might perceive that. And I mean, my daughter is 13. I love her a lot. She, and I, I don't know, I, they like to post little pictures of them in their costumes or their short tops or whatever they wear these days. And I always wonder what sicko is out there who gives a bad comment and I hope she doesn't take it the same way I took it. <laughs> Donovan, I mean, you, you touched on something quite profound there just now, which you spoke to me about the other day as well, was you know how you could not see when you were younger what the reality actually was. You had this sort of veil of... Delusion, actually, to a certain extent, and now looking back on it, you can see, and that was quite shocking for you. And I mean, I suppose what I would ask you is, what do you think? What, what do you think's happened in you? Because that's a Donovan thing. That's not a an external something shifted with you. And if you could, if you had an idea of, of, of what happened, to maybe tell us about it. You're referring to uh, how I see myself mm, your perception of yourself yeah I don't know I mean <laughs> it is I, I, I think about it a lot I mean I go back and I even today I, I, I still can't understand how I saw myself back then and how I, and I I guess now it's still even because of looking back and I guess the same was when I got bigger I wasn't big enough. When I looked in the mirror, it was like, you're not big enough. And I looked back and There's I looked, two like, sides of the I same looked like coin. a ridiculous yeah. clown. I mean, I had still skinny ostrich legs like I got now and I had, was huge upper body. I don't know how I got my wife. A bounce, <laughs> a bounce of smoking, weighing. Like, I, I, I mean, God bless her. I mean, I was, I'm lucky. I, but even then, I was never big enough. When I, when I was small, I was never small enough. And now, that's why I say, now I don't know if, I think I found a happy medium just because I've been kind of this way for a long time and I'm semi-happy, but I don't know if in 10 years' time, maybe... Well, you've just touched on it now. I mean, <clears throat> we can say glibly, you know, I'm, I'm semi-happy. But, you know, I suspect that in, in the time from when, you know, you were 17 years old until now, you know, a whole lot of things happened, a whole lot of experiences happened where somehow you came to some sort of acceptance of you. There was a, a shift that, okay, I, I am who I am. And, uh, you know, to, not to sound too sort of yeah, mystical and yeah. vague about these things, but these things do kind of happen. We, we develop through these stages, etc., and we have these different experiences. And sometimes that veil can be lifted. And um, 
obviously, I mean, you you know this the anorexia and well, eating disorders. It, it's a preoccupation that you have with with body image. Yes, and it's distorted in a way, and there and there are various reasons for that. I mean, you know, we we can touch on it sometime. Maybe not. It's maybe not, it's not the subject for today. But there are going to be various things under underlying all of this stuff, and um, I think when when one gets to a point where some of these things come to light, you know, and you can make light of it and you can look at it and go, yeah, I was a bouncer, this huge upper body and skinny legs and I wonder what my wife saw in me. There's a realism to that, if that makes sense, which mm. indicates there's some sort of acceptance of I am Donovan. Yeah. You know, which is a far cry from from where you were at, at 17 with, yeah. that, with that, you know, and, and that's something that people who, have, who often go through, um, who've lived with mental disorders or you know, psychiatric disorders or just your general anxieties, et cetera, to come to that acceptance and go, you know what, yeah, I've got an issue with eating. Now, I don't know if my issue with eating is performance-based, if it's uh, physical or aesthetically-based or comparative-based, but I understand that I've got this issue. But I can look at myself with this issue and I can go, okay, I can accept that this is something that I need to look at from time to time. I can accept that I'm going to be anxious from time to time. I'm going to be anxious before a race. You're never going to be n not be anxious before yeah. a race. Well, and if you, if, if you are, if you're not anxious at all before a race, it's time to stop. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So somewhere in this journey that you've had, that you're describing, what I'm hearing is that there's a, there has been some sort of acceptance of, okay, yeah, I... I can be happy. I don't, there are certain things I need to control and I want to control, but for the most part, I've seen myself as I am. And, and I think that leads to a, a very interesting, this, it, this was a random discussion just not long ago with one of my friends that knows and he, we're talking about achievements and he said, surely you overcoming anorexia must be one of your biggest achievements. And I mm -hmm. said, well, and that made me think a lot. I said, well, you know, I've achieved the hardest part for me about anorexia is, and the whole journey this far is that, and like any, we touched on it briefly as well when we spoke, is that any, I think, mental, mental disorder is that I cannot say it's been my biggest achievement because you never achieve, for me, you never achieve the finish line. When I studied to become a chartered accountant, I know when I wrote my final exam, I achieved that and I was at the finish line, I could close it off. I said, that's an achievement. When I became, I wanted to become world champion, I know what I had to do on the bike, swim and the run, and I trained to do it. I got there, I was lucky enough on the day, I became world champion, and that's an achievement, it's a finish line, I'm at the finish line. But anorexia, or me, I don't want to use that, only any mental disorder, and I got lots of respect for people who suffer from depression, there's almost never at the finish line. You get close, and then you you see the light there in the tunnel and the train disappears again. You go back and you got to, and that's what you just said. You get to the acceptance that you have to, it's with you and you got to deal with it for the rest of your life. How you deal with it, I mean, some, there goes, and, it's, and I'm, I'm not saying this, I wake up every day and my only fear is, oh my goodness, how many calories am I burning and how many, but you go through, I go through phases where, I mean, some weeks or months or whatever, I wake up and I 
it doesn't bother me for three months, six months, whatever. I don't even think about it. I just go with the flow. And they so go what through phases. Those, what, what happens in those months then? If I may ask, sorry to interrupt. I do not know. I don't know. It, I guess I can tell you, it's like with training. I mean, you go through a phase where everything just feels like naff, it's like a chore. Mm. Like, oh, I've got to cycle again and swim again. And then you go through a phase where, yes, you just love it. I mean, I just want to ride my bike and I can swim. You can tell me now, let's go swim 5Ks. I just want to swim 5Ks. And then, and then for two, three months, you go through this lack of phase. And I guess you get tired and fatigued and you get, and then even if there's two Ks in your swimming program, like, oh, my word, I can't even swim for it. And I think the same thing happens with, uh, I mean, it's like people with depression, what triggers them to be in a bad mood. And and one of my, my best friend at the moment is older than me, he's also 51, Paul's age. Paul, uh, and he, he, he suffers from severe depression. He's a, he's a, Big guy, he's an intimidating guy. If you see him, you would never think he's the with the smallest heart I've ever. He's the biggest guy with the smallest heart I've ever met in my life. He's very important to me in my life. And he, if you see him and I and meet him, he's the most social oak. And I tell you, after you've met, spent time with him, that because he suffers with depression, he, it's hard for him. You would say rubbish. Can never, can never be. He's the most. Happy go lucky, so it's impossible. And I mean, and I get, and and once you learn to know, that's why I say it's so very hard. And I guess the same from Paul's intro. I mean, people see me and they think, yeah, there's this harachat Oak who just slams the bike. He just does what he wants. He's such a rebel. He, but believe me, as much as I battle with training like everybody else, because of these phases, there's this add-on phases that just sometimes, and of recent, for some reason, it's just been a I don't know, maybe add on with COVID and my daughter becoming a teenager and all becoming a bit more relevant. It was more or less the same age as when my crap started about, I mean, when the whole thing started is that it's just like reminded me again. And it's been a thing that just been, I've just been thinking about it more than normal. Like I just wake up and it's like always like, before I eat again, I will think, what have I already eaten today? Just like do a quick calc. I'm not like, just like, and it's like, it's shit. Because it's almost like another thing to stress about that you don't need in your life. I just like, am I, if I'm eating this banana, have I had one already this morning? Gonna, I mean, it's such rubbish. But it's something that is just, and, uh, and I say that as, when you meet me, you think, he can just do whatever he likes. But it's not, it's just, it's bloody hard. Mm. It is hard that something like a, Apple can upset my day completely because <laughs> I had one already this morning and I cannot have another one. And if I have the other one, I'm like, I feel guilty. It's crazy. I cannot understand. I, I, it blows my mind even after 20 years. It's just over 20 years that I was at my sickest mentally with this whole thing. And even today, I can tell you that it will bug me like hell. Well, I guess there are some things in life that are not meant to be resolved in a hurry. We go through life, it's a journey, we're all dealing with stuff. I guarantee if the three of us spoke openly, we'd all have stuff that worries us. And I guess working through it is part of the journey of life and also passing it on to children. I'm a media guy, I write magazine articles. I'm forever writing articles on how to beat four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, whatever, it's for a mile, whatever. And then you kind of think, we're defining everybody by their performance. I walked into this room, I saw you, big guy. How much did you weigh? What position? What team did you play for? 
I'm immediately putting you in that box of performance. Okay, good. And we're all defined by that. Yes. Every day I wake up, people say, oh, you're the editor of Mountain Bike Trial. You do all this stuff. You must be super fit. So I'm, I'm handcuffed to that. At the moment, I'm out of shape. This happened this weekend. A mate of mine grabbed my tummy at the start line of a mountain bike race, and he said, oh, you're having a good winter. And I just, and I know when he normally sees me, he says, oh, you're so much ripped more than us old guys or our age, da-da-da. And he was kind of literally saying, like, I'm almost disappointed that you're not the, the beacon of... Of like fitness, Iron Man. and we and then it. I went home. I was like instantly. I was like, from tomorrow, I'm going back onto intermittent fasting. I'm going to start training hard again. I've had this winter because being in shape defines me. And I was born. Excuse me. I was born at the age of five. I've got a picture of the swimming pool with an eight pack. I just mm. had it from the day I was born. It's nothing to do with anything. My brothers didn't, and I did. I had some sort of genetic thing. I was in great shape, like Jan Fredina, who I've known since he was mm. twelve on the beach. He was born like that, and so much stuff is genetic. But yet we try and force ourselves to be differently. And and I've, I realized that it is, I'm, I'm just absolutely captured in having to remain that. And at 50, two beers a week, and I'm suddenly like ahead of where I should be. And, I, and I, I'm, Trevor, I'm looking at you going like, you know, is it just the acceptance of, and, and is that acceptance failure? Because we're constantly saying, you know, it's a loser mentality, and we're born to be winners. In South Africa, it's like how fast and how far, and wow. Look, you know, I mean, the, 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 the sports mindset is a, it's a fascinating one, you know, because it's, you know, what... what 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 you're both talking about, the way I see it through the, through the lens I see it, which is an existential lens, um, or depth psychology, psychological lens, is that, you know, there, there's a, a tremendous amount of will, you know, and, and will as a as that kind of energy dynamo that you're born with. Um, you know, some people are, are born with, you know, a really big engine, and that engine needs to, needs to perform, you know, and um, I suppose one is lucky. Uh, in life, if that will can be directed towards something, okay, because a an undirected will becomes dangerous, because you start to seek pleasure. It because diffuses into pleasure, and then you get your hedonistic pursuits and and whatnot. From a psychological perspective, or more philosophical, shall I say? Um, <clears throat> so the sporting mentality, you're going to have this person with with a, a hell of a lot of will. Okay, somebody who can overcome things, they want to overcome things, they, they want to push, they want to do, they want to create. Would that be um, a control freak as, as we refer to, possibly? Yeah, I mean, look, if I had to plot it on the big five personality, uh, um, the, the big five personality continuum, if you want to call it that, um, it would be somebody who's highly conscientious, maybe a little bit neurotic, um, Less agreeable than uh, more more disagreeable than agreeable, less open and sports people like control, mm-hmm. and it's and it's it's it's. Um, I mean, I come from the rug from a rugby background, of, you know, obviously. So, um, in my experience as being a professional rugby player, you know, when you train, you train hard. You know, you you training three four times a day. The eating when I was playing wasn't such a big thing. You, you had guys who would, uh, but it wouldn't be really restricting. Funnily enough, when you were talking, I just had this sort of flash of um, uh, props and one of the, the front rows. And one of the big things when guys get injured in rugby is this body image um, issue where uh, a lot of front rowers, they express that when they get injured, they lose weight and they feel so naked and vulnerable. Because for them, it's the size, yeah, the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They got, you know, they'd, they'd rather come back to uh, back to training after preseason or, or, or after an off season, twenty kilos overweight, and then lose a little bit and down to a sort of fighting weight and come under. 
You know, it's 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 a yeah. it's a real thing. So yeah, this the sporting mentality. It's it's about control, really. And I mean, if I'm listening to you, Donovan, you know, you're talking about. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to go into you know what you talked to me about before, but I presume what I would want to know as a therapist, for example, would be what was so out of control when you were a kid that pushed you, pushed your will towards controlling everything in your environment to the point of exactly what you were eating. That's kind of what I would be what I would be wanting to know because that is something that would have, you know, pushed you forward into, um, into what you were doing and then eventually finding triathlon and, you know, triathlon, you know, thank God for triathlon yeah. because uh, what a wonderful way to actually direct that will. I mean, I think it's mad, but, <laughs> but in a good way, it's a, it's, it's something that, you know, you found and that you really expressed yourself in and continue to. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, as a child, I mean, I, I have a, a strong mother. I mean, I, my mom and dad, unfortunately, got divorced at a very young age. My dad was, was an alcoholic. I mean, he suffered from alcoholism, and he eventually drank himself to death uh, three years ago, and he died an alcoholic. But, I mean, I, I, I came from a, a... My mom, she's an amazing woman, I mean... She gave me and my brother everything we have. I don't. I don't know if I can pinpoint something to like an unhappy childhood. Donovan, I, I think you just have. I mean, we spoke, and maybe you're comfortable to talk about it. But we yeah, spoke yeah, about you playing yeah. a father role to your own father, and yeah, having to so, hold him down when you were. Yeah, I mean, I had to. I had to, I've, I've unfortunately only have bad memories from my dad. I mean, bad memories in the sense that when we. When we and and I mean it was to such a point that I actually now, I mean I dropped a lot at university and bouncing and when I was younger. But at this stage in my life now, I actually despise alcohol, not mm. because of all the bad memories it brings up for me. And I think there's now also maybe why now that I think about it now I I hate the alcohol because it reminds me of all the bad memories I had to face with him and. Maybe food, I mean, maybe it's something now, every time I look at food, it reminds me back of those days of, and I mean, I can't say, I hope, <laughs> and I, I like eating. I mean, it's one thing, I, it's, eating for me, I me mean, my family go out a lot, whenever me and my wife travel, I watch, it's 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 crazy because I, I would watch something like Bizarre Foods on, which is Andrew Zimmerman, I love food cooking shows, and if we go to London, I'll find one of his shows and all his best restaurants, and I'll go visit it, and it's it's something that I really love. I mean, my wife says, all you want to think about is which restaurant we're going to go to. And I said, I, I just enjoy that journey for me. It's lacquer for me that to do that. But at the same time, it's also the one thing that brings me the most bloody misery in my life is food. It's, uh, it's really, if you ask me, and if you ask my wife now, because it's my 40th in a few days, and she actually, for my 40th, want to get like a private chef and do like a, you know, when they cook at your house, what's this oak's name, this famous oak in South Africa that comes to your house and he cooks and well, she knows how much I like it. But at the same time, it's the one thing that drives me completely insane because I, I, I can't figure it out. It's the one thing that I hate the most. I mean, I was literally the other morning working out my food math as one does as a triathlete, how much calories is, and I was riding and I didn't have breakfast before and I had a long, a hard ride. I actually was so 
hungry that I actually just stopped and started crying, telling myself, what on earth are you actually doing? You're hour and a half into this bike ride. It's miserable. It is so shit. You're hungry. You're sipping on water. All I want, and I just went to Seattle and I had a cappuccino and a muffin and I felt better. <laughs> but then I also didn't. I felt better because I could carry on riding, but then it bugged me the whole bloody day because I was like, I had to add and subtract all this shit. Again, I already had this. So okay. It is a nasty thing. And the reason I'm talking, uh, I wanted, to, and I know there's many people out there that has the same battle. I mean, and we bring it on to ourselves by little chirps, like Paul just said earlier. Oh, you gain a little bit of this. We think it's innocent. But, and 90% of the time it is water off a duck's back to a lot of people. A lot of people, it doesn't bother. I mean, you're not going to go home now and not eat because Paul said, oh, what a big guy. Well, so, we don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we but no I mean, idea. that's the thing. We, we, we take this very lightly. And I mean, I think there is way more people that suffer with this mm. than, I mean, I see lots of people putting comments when they train fasted six-hour ride and all this <laughs> stuff. And then, then you re read what the real pro guys do. They'll say you're nuts. That's not how real, real life works. You eat for performance. Don't do that crap. Us as aspiring uh, age groupers pretending to, uh, we think we found the magic thing. If you don't eat, then you're a bit lighter. You're going to perform better. And actually, you're going to perform worse. I mean, I, I told Paul before we started that Kona weighed the heaviest I've ever weighed in my triathlon career. Because they weigh you in the morning of Kona. You have to get over a scale before you can go in. And I weighed something pounds. I, 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 I couldn't do the conversion. I'm normally good with math, but I couldn't do that. And at the end of the race, I worked it out. It worked out to 78.9 kilos. I was like, shit, the island's been good to me because I arrived at the island 76 kilos. Luckily, I didn't have a scale in the room because I probably wouldn't have arrived on race day. If I knew, if that thing was in kilograms that morning and not in pounds, because I wouldn't have thought, shit, this looks like a lot of pounds, but I don't know what it was. It was like 170-odd pounds. I thought, shit. I can't remember what the number is, but afterwards I went home and I still told my wife, yes, I weighed 78.9 kilos in the morning and I was like a good few shits down and I should have been light. And I mean, I think if I, in that moment, it would have been a complete negative for me. It would have ruined my day. If I saw on the scale that kilos, I would have been blown. But I had the best day of my life. I didn't, other than the last two k's when it felt like I was ice skating down the hill and I couldn't lift my feet anymore. Up until that point, I didn't battle at all. I felt amazing. And that to me is a message again, even yet I know the heavier I race, the better I feel within reason. I mean, I guess if I pick up weight till 85, I'll feel less good. But I know that. I know that. I test it often. I go through these motions month after month where I weigh too light and I feel like crap. Then I, get, I gain a bit of weight. I feel amazing on the in training, but I feel not amazing as a person because I feel like I'm overweight. Then I lose weight. Then I feel amazing about myself because I look good in the mirror, but I feel crap all training, and then I go back again, and it goes like in cycles for month after month after month, and it's just, exhausting. I can't, you're exhausting, and I don't know, and and that's also, like I, when I spoke to you, Trevor, I think it is time for me to speak to someone, because I can't see that this can be a, a healthy circle of life, that it's just an added stress on my life, that, Actually, it's just not worth it to try for me. If this is what triathlon has become for me and training has become for me, it's actually not enjoyable anymore. It's not enjoyable for me to try stay relevant in racing, but I go through this 
unhealthy, call it food obsession cycle versus weight story every single bloody month. And it's like, I'll just be better off tanning on the beach, hanging the bicycle. I'll have a lot more money if I don't do triathlon, which will be a good thing. You think you'll be able to tan on the beach and hang the bicycle? No, I won't. (laughs) Otherwise, I would have. But I I won't be. I, 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 I really, I mean, I'm one of those guys, people, oh, the race is cancer, you must be shattered. It doesn't bother me. I love it so much, the sport, that I can just carry on training. For me, the last, I don't care. If they're not racing, for me, it's nice. I like to challenge myself. I like to, I like the consistency. It's a lifestyle thing for me to a point. I mean, every now and then you got to put it out there and race a little bit. I like the racing part, but uh, yeah, so it is just, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I just, I just can't figure it out. And I've, and I've figured out a few things in my life, being a hard world, or good Afrikaans word is harachat, Dutchman. But yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult thing to accept that this is this is the journey. This is my, this is just the card I've been dealt with, and forever and a day, you're gonna even when you 55, you're sitting with your wife in Maldives on the sand, retired millionaire. You're gonna worry about having one extra prawn. Oh. <laughs> I would like to think that I can get to that point where I can say, you know what. Almost swore, yeah, but have the extra prune, you'll be fine. But I'll, I'll have it, but then tomorrow it'll bug me again and I'll have one extra le- less slice of toast. <laughs> Trevor, I've got to assume that this is permeated through right through society. I mean, the kids with social media, I've seen my kids look at social media, they see their friends all in holidays in better places than we go to, their parents dropping them in bigger cars, the girls wearing more boutique clothing, going to more parties where their friends are out there, not at. You talked about earlier, social media has added so much to what already existed. I mean, Donovan's mm. 40, so he's 20 years earlier. What are the kids going through now? Yeah. Look, I think that the, the, um, the rise of just anxiety disorders and depression, uh, let alone you know, eating disorders, etc., you know, is testament to, to where, where the world's going at the moment. And there's a lot of... There, there are a lot of people who, who are laying it, not solely at the feet of social media, but but a big majority of it. This comparison between you know things like Instagram, etc. And I'm not knocking social media. I think they're good things that have come from it too. Um, but like anything, I think these things are being used and abused to a certain extent. And we don't know. We, I mean, we don't know what it's doing on young people's minds yet. It's too early. Too early. Yeah. To see, but we can see what the trajectory is. And yeah, it's. I mean, I, I'm. You know, I, I can um, um, empathize with Donovan, you know, worrying about your kids, etc. And you too, Paul. Um, but I think what we're touching, what, what, what it touches on with social media, especially, and, and with this comparison, is the performance side of things, you know, where, especially in Western society, you know, we, we're expected to perform. You know, everything's performance, 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 performance. You know, you got to, if you're performing, you accept it. And off that, you know, if you're accepted, then you belong to your tribe. And if you belong to your tribe, you have decent relationships. And if you have decent relationships, you're not isolated. You're not going to get kicked out of the tribe. You're a worthwhile human being. You know, in my opinion, from a therapeutic perspective, I mean, that's where all of these things always go to. You know, you you see some sort of pathology um, and you strip the layers away. And so you find out what's happening in that person's relationships because there'll be there'll be clues as to how these things have arisen, where from where they've arisen. And normally there's, you know, there's a fear or a, 
um, or, or, or something going on with, with you know, I, I was afraid that if I didn't perform in this way, my caregivers, whoever they are, you know, would be upset with me. The caregivers represented, you know, representing the world, society in general. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be too vague, but mm-hmm. there are these things psychologically that that, that go on. And um, I think, yeah, when it comes to um, performance and going getting back to the sports side of things, um, sports in general can be a, a brilliant conduit for the self to come through and to be explored. I mean, what better way to, to really push yourself to actually see what your limits are? You know, it's mind, body, and soul. Like, you, you know, you, you, you're competing in triathlon or you're playing a rugby game or you're cycling or you're doing something, you're swimming, etc. You're pushing yourself to the limit. You want to see why are you doing it? You know, underneath that, you want to see what can how far can now? I go? Like, what am I capable of? And if I'm capable, the other will see me as being capable and therefore I will have decent relationships and I will but I think, be part I think of the tribe. But I think Paul add on here, I mean, I think, and I'm going to talk specifically triathlon because it's something that I know and I like. And I mean, I can go back in three-year cycles and I can't tell you how little people from when I started who was the great, he's still there. I mean, I think people get into the sport and they get, so bogged down. You get all the best of everything. You you train 30 hours a week. You only eat leaves and kale. And you go, so, and they only last three years and they're gone. I mean, I can go through the best age groupers from 2015. Even the guys who won South African 70.3, none of them race anymore. Because, I mean, some of them fall. But I think people, like you say, for acceptance and to be we can't just race to have fun with our mates. A lot of us, who's the competitive guys, we have to win. And if we can't, so we give everything we have and we go into this thing, hell or high water, everything is just lean and it's not sustainable. And that, to me, is proof that it's not. Because I can, I mean, I watched the weekend race, Bella Bella, one of my mates is there, Gavin Moffs, he's the only guy in the list that I know. I don't know anyone. I'm like, who the hell is this new breed? And all the other guys, they don't race anymore because we get, we go in and it's all or nothing. We have to be lean and it's not sustainable. And I'm saying that as for, it's not even sustainable for me who's still around and I'm going to be around for a long time. But I battle this thing constantly and I can see why people give up. It's hard to find a balance between, I mean, it's okay to sometimes arrive at the race a little bit overweight and just race with your mates and come 10th. It is not what define us. And the worst part of it all is I put myself through all this hell. I spent hundreds of thousands to get to Kona and I read the race of my life and the only thing I got is a delayed medal in the post. I didn't win millions of rands. I'm still not as famous as Jan Fredina, although I would like to be one day. And the, the ultimate takeaway from it, the only thing that I actually got from it is that I proved to myself if I put my head down, I can achieve a hell of a lot. And that for me is enough. But we want to show to the outside, we want more from the outside world sometimes than I think that we want from ourselves in racing. And that's what I get from age group racing. People also ask me, I'll, far, I'll go race in Copenhagen tomorrow just because I know no one there and I won't care and I'll perform well. I hate racing locally because I always find that the people that we know 
celebrate someone else's bad day more than we celebrate the good day. In some oak, you never go, geez, maybe that oak had a very bad year. So third for him is excellent and he's actually done well. There's been COVID. We'd be like, oh my goodness, he must be blown. He only came third, he had such a bad day. And we rather talk about how bad the guy was. Where for me, if I go race somewhere where no one knows me, I don't care and I have a fantastic time. I actually don't enjoy racing locally at all. And I don't know why. It's funny, you talk about that. I mean, firstly, uh, I think social media has made, like the, the full Ironman distance has become the benchmark. Mm. Like running, are you a runner? What's your comrade's time? Yeah, you can, you can run can't a 12 and minute a... 5k and everybody would be, what are you, have you run yeah, comrades yet? And you say, you're 10 hours. They're like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's only like three people in the world who can run a 13 minute 5k. It doesn't matter. Have you done comrades? comrades. Yeah. So, so th this benchmarking has become a real thing. Big thing. Digital dopamine, put my picture up. You did it. You're the man, whatever. And that stuff is really crazy. And, and so, we do it to ourselves. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. I, I do it, I, I get upset with myself because like you said, images you put in your magazines, you feel bad about because you try, even though I know it and I know other people feel every now and then you want to have it, ask your daughter, take a nice pic and, and if it, the angle is good and I do a bit of shading and I look amazing, I put it on social media and oh, I think, that is so stupid. Fake. Why? <laughs> Why? What? No, well, it might be true. I might look lean that day because well, I'm severely, very, I'm severely dehydrated, and I haven't eaten a fruit <laughs> in a week. <laughs> but yeah, so so Donovan, what 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 is the answer? If you had to think about it, I don't know. know I don't know. It's like I go I go through these things, and I and I look back, and I say that's, that's that's stupid. Don't do it because someone else who looks in the mirror might think, oh man, I don't, I'm not as lean as that oak in that picture. He's so ripped. That's why the reality is that I don't race well because I'm lean. I actually race much worse. I feel worse. I'm moody. I'm depressed. I'm an asshole. And I don't even race well at all when I'm lean. The only thing you get from it is you look good for the picture. It's unhealthy. And 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 why do I still gravitate back to that? I, I, don't, know, I don't have the answer. I, I, I just want the message to be out there to people that it's... Yeah, and and then that goes back to sports nutrition. That's a whole nother discussion. Maybe we need Prof Tim Noakes here for this discussion. But there's also a big difference between eating for health and eating for performance. And that's a hard thing to understand and to accept. And we'll talk about that for the next five days because there'll be very views and all these things. And and often, yeah, and, and the one thing that is true as daylight is that if you train long hours hard, Starving your body is definitely not the answer to health. I mean, not mental health and not your own health either because you will break eventually. You will break, your body will break down, your life will become a misery and it's not sustainable. So, yeah, it is. Look, I think, you, you, you know, that what I touched on earlier <clears throat> in what I was saying about will, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing, will. It's... I mean, it's literally our—it's it, literally our energy system. It's you know, it's what we're born with. It's it's what drives us towards everything. The, the, I mean, Freud called it the pleasure principle. You know, um, Alfred Adler of Nietzsche talked about the, the will to power. Uh, Frankel, etc. The existentialist looked at the will to meaning, and we talk about the will to meaning because it kind of encompasses power and and pleasure. Let me not go too down that rabbit hole, but the. The will needs, like I said, direction. And if you can direct it towards something, 
you, in a way, you're happy. Okay. So doing Ironman, doing triathlon, playing sports, etc. That's a it's a pretty socially acceptable kind of thing to do to use your will to um, to play the game of life. If that makes sense, you, know, you set a target, you go for it. You're playing the game of life. You, you're within the rules. You you're playing. You're competing with others, etc. You know, there, there's a there's an opportunity for meaning in that. But if I th- if if one thinks about, if I think about, for example, controlling food, that's a that's directing your will. You know, there's something quite euphoric. Um, I've heard from you know people who are anorexic and who have eating disorders about being able to to control what they are taking in or. Yeah, that, yeah, that restricting is, and, or, you, and you almost get to the end of the day and you're like yes I nailed it yeah. I like got you and I only yeah. I was able to keep it within that and you're like, I mean yeah. I, I, I uh, you talk about intermittent fasting so I started intermittent fasting a couple of years back because I wanted to experiment with, with some of these things and it worked like a bomb but um, I started with the 14 hour fast then I went to 16 then I went to 18 then I went to 24 and then I went to 48 and then I was thinking, sure, but this actually feels really good. It actually feels really, really good. What feel I'm, good? Not eating or not achieving eating. it? Well, getting over that hump. Um, because yeah. I never thought I could do that. Because I'm like a, I'm like a flipping dustbin, like mm. anything. I mean, Seafood. F- f- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll eat anything. You know, leftovers, everything. But, um, you know, getting over that, that sort of that 24-hour mark where I thought, oh, flip, I've actually, I haven't, I haven't eaten in 24 hours. So that, coupled to those endorphins, et cetera, that you get when, you know, you're basically, your body's starting to, to, to eat fat now. And like you say, you and know, you dehydrate yourself a little bit. Yeah, you also oh, made control. it. Sense of achievement, sense of control. I'm in control mm-hmm. here. I'm controlling my own destiny. Nobody's telling me what to do. I can control myself. My will is directed towards something for me, no one else. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's part of the, the sort of eat, the, the eating disorder um, um, manifestation really it's you know I doesn't matter what happens outside I'm in control of me and um, you know and obviously it, it, it can get dark you know you can go down that road and um, if that's all you're looking at but I guess if that's the, if you make it the thing that defines you because now the counter to that is if you now don't make it then you're a failure because you're so strong willed and today you set out you know, 24 hour fast and you just have a crap day and you have a apple in the middle. It's like, oh, oh I can't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> failed. So, so world failed power is broke. And you got pressure from the outside world. Yeah. Yes. So we got a lot to deal with. And then over and above all that stuff, I mean, once again, we're not talking pro athletes here. We're talking people with day-to-day lives. So we all have families with that stress. You got to work with that stress. You got whatever other stresses you deal with and COVID stress and now you add on trying to be competitive in triathlon then you add on food stress. It's just something that... And you feel like you're a loser in all the departments. I'm not being a good father. I'm not being a good friend. I'm sitting here, supposedly listening to my kid tell a story but I'm thinking about my training or my coach and that's... I'm going through that. I mean, it's midlife crisis stuff. Yes, for for sure. You look at it and go, I'm failing at everything and then your friends will go, but you've got happy kids and you did well at sport and you look great and and you think... Well, that sounds okay, but I actually don't feel like a winner in any of those departments because I could be as good a dad as that guy who does no sport. I could be as good a writer as that guy who writes for a living in a basement. I could be as good as athlete as Donovan. You know, and, and so you compare yourself with the best of everything and you're the worst at everything. You and, become a failure. But, 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 but 
and and you know this, and you said the other day, everything happens for a reason. And I told you, thanks for introducing me to Trevor. I think it's a time in my life where I need to talk about it. But my, I came home the other night. I've never pressured my kids into training. I wanted them to find it. And, and I came home the other night. It was one of my proudest moments. And my son had a big thing made with all the days on there. He said he made him a little gym routine. He's a scrawny oak. He's pulled like his mother. He's lucky. He's blessed. And he just eats crap and he loses weight. But he's going to gym every single day. He's going to tick this thing off. And and I was like, yeah, if you want to do it, you do it, my friend. Now we went to get him some weights, and at night I hear these things drop there in the room, and he just pumping away. <laughs> and and I was like, and he came home last week Thursday, and he had cross country in the morning. He had rugby afterwards. He swam from five till six, and we had just had dinner, and he's sitting on the couch. He's like, oh, he's just got to go do his fifteen minutes of training. And I said, listen, my man, what did you do in rugby? Said, no, they did push-ups. They just like and ran. I said, that was your gym today. That was your gym. You're not failing because you're not ticking that. You can tick that box today because you did do that. It doesn't mean now only don't make it an obsession that now because you told yourself you have to do 20 minutes of training every single day that that's a separate event. My daughter also had this thing. There was this long challenge run a mile a day for how many days, see how long you streak. You could have. So you pulled away there, day one and went amazing, day two went, day three, she had cross country in the morning, three, and she had to do a mile in the evening because I said, you ran three k's this morning, there's a mile in there, tick it off, don't do it again. No, no, she has. And by day seven, she was so gutful because now she's like, oh, she can't believe she, I said, see, that's, and that is just that, and that, all those little emotions and I'm hoping that they're not getting it from me. Where well, you've got to wonder. World you know, champion that's father, what, but, king yeah, of but, the castle. But also, is it me? Because on a Saturday morning, I'll go slam a three-hour bike and a quick brick run. And then on a Saturday afternoon, we'll chill on the bed and slay. And the kids will ask me, are you still going to go swim this afternoon? And they're like, ah, oh, you know. And I'll say, oh, maybe I'll go. Maybe I won't. And we have a little, have a little dose. And I get up. I'll say, I'm going to go swim quick. And then... On the one hand, maybe they look and see, look at this guy. Jesus, is so amazing. He just never misses anything. On the other hand, it also, I think it can be very unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, I don't want my kids to, I don't want them to, at, at my son at 12, I mean, he doesn't have no biceps, but I don't want him to think, listen, if he misses one session, now it's like, oh, my dad never misses a swim. Why must I miss? Because it's unhealthy. Sometimes even my own obsession is unhealthy. I mean, I do, but I try. I don't want to make a. I don't want to make a scene about it. To I don't want to kind of like. I do speak. We speak. I mean, my favorite time with the kids is taking them to school because they, when you're alone in the car with them, the crap they talk is my favorite. I mean, it's like yesterday we buy coffees, walk the dog on the beach, and we just talk. And I try and talk, but I don't talk. I don't want to talk direct because I don't want to make it an issue. So I try and get to it in a longabout way to try and say, listen. And I, but I, and I think one of the reasons I wanted to have the discussion is once it's out, I think I'll be a bit easier for, like I said, for people to, once people know it's like, okay for me to, maybe I'll play I'm them this thing. Accept it. Accept it and move on. And I mean, accept, accept and then try, avoid them from going down the same road of, Making something an obsession. For me, not eating was an obsession. Then for me, just to eat was an obsession. For me, just to sometimes train 
just becomes an obsession and an unhealthy one. And I mean, got to step back a little bit sometimes. And like, it's difficult to trust it. You're on a difficult it's thing to, and you got to like try and accept. And, and at the same time, I don't want to be that guy who like at night, like crawls around the phone and says, shit, is someone, what are they doing? Or why, you know, you still fine. I mean, because then, then it creates like, then it's like, and, and there's no right or wrong in parenting. I mean, everybody, people always say, you swear like a trooper. Are you okay? I said, my kids have never said a swear word in their life. You know why? Because I told them, I swear like, it's my nature. It's not a good thing. Don't swear. And they've never ever said, they've never sworn in their life. And also my daughter always tells me, she won't swear. I think because I, I swear enough for all of us. And it's just the way I talk and they accept me like, and that's the way I approach it. I just said, listen, it's just me. It's not to like to say, it's like just tell a chain smoker, you must stop smoking when he doesn't want to. It's just my way of just expressing myself and they laugh, but they'll never ever do it because they know it's wrong. I told them it's wrong. Don't do it. What I'm, because I'm doing it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right that I continue doing it. I'm not saying that either. It's just how we got a good relationship like that and I want to have the message to them that, yeah, sure, what I do is very uh, super dad for plugging in all the training, but it's not the right, it doesn't mean it's the right thing. I mean, I do encourage a healthy lifestyle. Like you just said, you tell your kids, listen, we've got to go walk a little bit. And it's not for weight loss, something. it's just for, I want it to be more a healthy thing than and become an obsession that you have to do 15 minutes of core every single day because that's what's going to define you eventually. But then that depends on their goals. I mean, it's quite funny. You're talking now but, about... But at that age, it can also develop. I mean, there's how many stories of swimmers who just one day get out of the pool and say, that's it. I'm never going to touch the intense. pool again. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, there's only ever a handful of Chad Leclos in the world. We all want... Our daughter to be the next rowing champ, and my son thinks he's going to be the next Jason Colby. But reality is, he's probably not. As much as I want him to be that, I don't want him to become an obsession. And then, yeah, it doesn't happen. It but might that, happen. It might not. But the I media mean, message is consistency is king. Never I stop. Know. Never stop going for your for your goals. Yeah. Live your dreams. Never sleep. Train, train, train. And also, not, not necessarily. Yeah, they're saying like keep working hard. I mean, Brad Vice came under. Conrad Stoltz and people like that. And over the years, he basically got to being a world champion with a guy who started with ordinary uh, genetics. And I'm just interested to hear, Trevor, you you asked asked Donovan if he talks to his family about it. So I had a, I'm also, I can be a bit, I I, I wrote a story actually at school in an English literature exam called uh, Why Winners Are Losers. And I had already recognized at the age of, I think I was 16 or 17, that my mother, who turned me the star baby, and she had four boys, and she called me Star Baby because I think she came very proud and said, look at him, he wins all the swimming races, he wins class awards, the prefect, blah, 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 achieving. That for me was the way I stood out against my four brothers. I had acceptance and adoration and whatever you might call it from my mother. And by calling me that, I had to achieve. I remember her trying to get me to race other kids at lunch parties who were four or five years older and saying, my Star Baby will beat your kid. And so how did I not win in front of my mom? So my pressure was radical. And then I, I started, I went to boarding school, I went, started going into the world. And I suddenly wasn't, no one knew who I was. What school, in the small it didn't pond, matter where I came from. Sure. I was a nobody. Nobody cared who my family was, where I'd come, what races, I would prefect. And suddenly, you kind of left having to reinvent yourself and kind of go, I'm just a guy. And my relationship with this person right now 
if it's good, it's good. It, they, I'm not, they're not going to like me because I'm somebody. And, um, and I wrote this thing about, about you know, trying to accept being yourself and not having to be a winner like that. Yet, I'm in my 50s now, and the other day I had one of those reflective moments of still feeling a bit defined by that and being controlled by that. Came home to talk to the family about how this conversation in a family, a same situation had kind of arisen that given me those sort of sense of feelings. And I wanted to just open up about it. My little daughter looked at me and said, Dad, this isn't you. Like, you're the happy, always positive guy. Let mom have ups and downs. Like, she just looks at me as if to say, don't go there. Stay the rock because you're always up. And I'm living with a wife and two girls. There can be moody moments in my house and they seem to affect each other. But they want me to be that rock. And so suddenly I was like, it was like, hey, that's out of bounds. Don't, don't tell us you're fallible because, and that's why. I'm going to show you He weak, probably has yeah. to, yeah. Don't she show told you, weakness. you it was out of bounds. She kind of said like, yeah. like no. Yeah. Like, this isn't don't want to see that side. I don't yeah. want to see it. Yeah. It's interesting because, eh? I mean, like one of, the, one of the things with sports people, and I mean, <clears throat> again, this is off my own personal experience as well. Um, you know, coming out of especially professional sports and coming to the end of careers, etc. Like this, is that uh, guys? I'm, I'm not too sure about women that much, but but guys definitely. It often comes up that there's this gap in our demo, in our emotional development. Everything's performance based. Everything is from when we kids. Everything you just got to perform, and it's physical, it's body, it's performance. Um, and maybe mental, but the emotional side of things, w w w there's, there's this gap. So when we're anxious, we feel it and we try and avoid it. So the, the defense mechanisms are sort of avoidance, um, maybe some projection, um, humor, you know, that sort of thing. Like, you know, just laugh it off, it's fine. I broke my leg, ah, it'll be better, ha. Huh? You know, that's sort of thing. Yeah, it's rather <laughs> You know, and. Drug it um, off. and and uh, the, but the, the problem with that is that these emotions they come back to haunt us because you hit, you know, you're between thirty thirty five going into fifty these developmental milestones, and you have these crises. You know, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know how I feel about it. I often get people in therapy, you know, sports no, people, etc. You know, what? You know, not to sound like a proper psychotherapist, but how do you feel about that yeah, <laughs> type sure. of thing? And, and people can't answer. The they they don't know yeah. how they feel about something. They don't know. They have no idea. I feel I either feel anxious or excited yeah. or angry. Those are the sort of three big. Mm. But there's no, well, I feel tired or I feel relaxed. Or I feel tense. I feel good. I feel invigorated. I feel a bit vulnerable. I feel can't say that. whatever. I no, can't no, say you can't that. say that. And it's interesting that, you know, um, Again, I don't want to make this a therapy session, but, you know, when your uh, youngest daughter said to you, you know, you got the impression that, no, that's off bounds. Mm -hmm. Whereas she could have been saying, you know, well, I'm keen to talk, but be careful because yeah. <laughs> I'm not too sure about yes. this. And that could have been an opening to say, well, that's interesting. Like, why, mm -hmm. what, tell me why, tell daddy sort of, you know, what, what, you, know, what, what you mean by that or, mm. or how would you want me to talk to you about that or, you know, how do you understand that? in a very sort of lay, yeah, sure. you know, um, to be able to actually develop those emotions in adolescence especially, that's, a, that's really weird. And Trevor, I've also got to wonder whether it's exacerbated. You're talking about male only. I mean, look, the re we three males sitting here, we know that Donovan said people don't you know, think it's only a female thing. Yeah. This is much bigger amongst females, it's clearly. I mean, Simone Biles, we've had so many examples over the many years. There have been comrades, winners from 40 years ago who had issues with the stuff and broke down post-career because they no longer had the adoration of running into the stadium with the, you know, they trained the whole year for that one moment and yeah. suddenly that's gone. 
it's very depressing. And and so is midlife. You know, suddenly you're getting gray. You're not as fast as you were. You're not recovering as quickly. You're not, you know, there's a whole lot of things. So we start spinning. And I've got to wonder whether growing up with, in my case, and to you guys to an extent, apartheid, going to the army, there was all this negativity and the stuff around you that was completely uncontrollable and unfathomable. And once again, then, well, I'll just do my sport. Look, if I can achieve here and I can control my food and I can control, 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 I'm okay. And now these guys are sitting. I mean, Preoccupation, no, yeah. These guys are post-border, people who went up to the border. Yeah. But they went, this is nothing. There's no, no catching no. it. There's no talk of vulnerability. It's man, you bump chests, you have, you know, you drink a beer. And and I've seen guys when they're in groups, I mean, they have sort of mountain bike clubs and they have an open day like we had on Sunday. And this, the, there's this sense of, of stress you can see amongst people like, how, how can I match up and still be, you know, one of the, the, the A-type, you know, um, archetypal sort of male, male, the alpha male. The and still I think that's shifting to a certain extent. Like. I, I think, I mean, with all the chaos in the world at the moment, etc., it's it is it's it's interesting to watch because I, and, and this is completely my opinion. I don't. It's it's based on a sort of intuition, a, a couple of things I, I mm. keep abreast of. But I think there, there is we in the midst of a shift, a sort of global shift of consciousness in some sort of way, where where a lot of people are starting to talk. And like Donovan, I mean, thank you so much for with your story, etc. It's you know, it's it's needed. Mm. You know, because it, it really is. Because guys, guys are coming forward now and saying, you know, yeah, I am pretty vulnerable. And vulnerability isn't just about, um, you know, showing some emotion or something. Vulnerability is is also being able to say, listen, this is who I am, and this is what I want, and this is what I want from you. And you know, talking to your kid and saying, you know, well, you know, how do you see daddy when he goes and trains, and what do you want from dad, and mm. how can I be a better dad, and you know, and get into that negotiation of life, that negotiation in relationships where you can actually talk to your spouse, you can talk to your friends, you can, you know, hear each other out, etc., and, and be vulnerable in that, in, in, in that sense. And I think we are in the midst of a, it's a weird, it's a weird shift. I, th I think more and more we're coming back to that relationship side of things where, you know, um, there's still going to be the performance, you know, performance in sports, and that's what, what's great about sport. I mean, we love watching people push themselves to the limit. But I think that um, even in, in, in that area, in that, in that arena, more and more people are going to start um, exploring the emotional side of, of themselves and how it relates to what they're doing, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it has I, to. I wonder if this hasn't yeah. also perhaps been the sort of precursor, the change to the whole gen gender questioning now i mean we went to boys school. i went to a boys school with a thousand boys there wasn't one gay guy in the school now we've got and there wasn't talk of transgender no. and you but, and confused, I got schools yeah. with seemingly half the class and you kind of think well we you know that's just the changing tide people are open to maybe it's going in some cases too far too we're, far yeah. we're questioning everything but but clearly there were gay guys and it was just impossible in south africa this macho society especially afrikaans and the kind of I went to a border school where yeah. boarding school where it was where you would have died there. And so yeah. so there does seem to be a comfortable shift and maybe that language and the yeah, emotional no, language is, and open we, had a, we had a guy um, in uh, Biarritz, I obviously won't name him or anything, but uh, after the fact I spoke to uh, one of my good friends who I played with. He was our captain. He was a French ex French rugby captain as well. Um and he phoned me the one day a couple of years back and said, um, you know, he's got news for me. And I said, what? And he said, and said that one of the players had come out, you know. And I, and I said, you know, flip it, man. Why didn't he come out when he was 
there, you know, and, and this guy, you know, in, in French and everything was saying, Trevor, come on, man. <laughs> so, and, I, and, I, and I had to, yeah. I had to kind of re- relocate yeah. myself. Of course, of course. Uh, I've got, I've, I've it, got, it, it was impossible back I've got no opinion on, 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 I mean, I've got no problem with gay, straight, whatever the thing is. But the thing that I find very hard is for someone who's like that who has to live with a lie mm. pretty much mm. his whole life. Or until the point you come out, you live and you pretend to be someone you're not. But isn't that what we're talking about here? Yeah? yeah, exactly. You know, same here. Yeah, yeah of, course. Well, of course. That's what I'm saying. It's like and you. This is, and, and this and, is and, where the, the, the psychotherapy the, side of things, Donovan, comes How many comes years? In. 20 years to say, because it's like, oh, now you let your guard down, you show everybody you're softy, you fucking break down over that's apple. The, that's the end of the world. And that's the end of the world. Now everybody knows he, when he sees the apple, he wants to fall over and he cries. And, 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 and it's also a thing now, because now, why I never want to speak about it because now, maybe because people, now they're going to be more conscious and when they come to me, it's like, do you want to have a bit, oh no, sorry, maybe, maybe I shouldn't ask that because it's going to bother him. If he, and it's like, and I didn't want that, but it's something I must accept. I think, it's like, it's like the vegan oak at the braai. I mean, you, you offer him a piece of voice. It's like, oh, it's going to be offended. And it's like the same thing. I don't want the same thing for me when people say, oh, every time. Or when I actually do finish the race and I win the thing and they like, here's your finishing beer. And I say, no, so oh, he's probably worried about his weight. When in fact, I just don't want to drink. But Because it goes back to... Because it's, for some, it's about oh. something else. So it's like always... I don't want. I didn't want it to be this old cliche of like referencing. Now, it's, whenever I decline a smoothie or something, it's because he's conscious of his weight. It's not that. I mean, sometimes I'm just not in the mood for the bloody thing. I might also just not want it. Yeah. It's not just. But now it's always going to be now when you highlight it. It's like it's like almost like everybody mm. is like when you come out to say you're like gay. They all the, it's like almost like if, an, if you if you just walk close to the oak, he's going to grip you. It doesn't work like that. It, it's not That's not how gay people work. Mm-hmm. And the same with people that once had an eating disorder. When you decline an apple, sometimes it's because you don't want the apple and sometimes it's actually because it's a problem. But how do you now, I mean, I don't want people that walking you, softly how around you nav- me. How do you navigate? Yeah, how do you navigate around it now? Because now people are going to say, oh, shit, here's this like again. Ooh. Trevor, I think we're going to close up. Can you possibly give us some tools just for people listening who are going like, I know what he's going through. I know what he went through. It may be not as extreme. I mean, someone who lost 400% of his body weight yeah, will put on from 30 to, to 125. Even Donovan, as his achievement is laughed about the fact that his disappointment is he never broke 30 and got down to 29. <laughs> the sickest, funniest joke. In a, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's how, how control freaks can think. Um, yeah, what can we do to, to accelerate this acceptance? Look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give specific tools. You know, I mean, that, it, it differs for each person. But, but what I can say is that, you know, the psychotherapy is a, it's a tried and tested old way of dealing with our own consciousness and you know i myself have been to psychotherapy for for years i still am in psychotherapy i need it um as well as supervision and all these things because i am a therapist but i've seen some really really wonderful progress with with people just psychotherapy coming in commitment to once a week coming in and talking 
mm-hmm. building a relationship with a therapist and exploring the self. Why, what, what's the meaning behind me eating the way I eat? What's the meaning behind me breaking down into tears looking at an apple? Mm-hmm. Why? What's, the, what's behind it? Where does it come from? What does it mean to that's me? Tremendous. And bringing these things up into awareness and saying, okay, well, if, you know, if it's on the computer screen, I can see it now and I can choose. I can either delete it or, or try or, or just accept it and understand that that mm-hmm. program, that's, maybe it's redundant and it can just sort of stay there. You know, for a while, and I think this is where an, sport in general starts to need needs to start going, getting away from completely performance um, based psychological techniques, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just change the way you think about this, and you'll be fine. And perform, 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 which, in my opinion, doubles down on some of the performance and achievement anxiety that's going on at the moment, mm-hmm. and getting into a real therapeutic relationship with someone. You know. Yeah. Because, I mean, by the same token, I mean, I, I say to the kids, you know, be like Granny. Granny laughs at herself heartily. Mm-hmm. When you know, we tease my mom, she laughs. She laughs at herself. And it's very hard to do that. And it's, uh, But there's a bulletproofness about her that you can never upset her by saying something because she doesn't really give a toss. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she, whereas some people are so sensitive, they spend their lives taking offense. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to look at the kid and say, just, you don't need to be friends with every person out there. There's always going to be haters and jealous yeah. people and... To say to them, just let it go, is easy when I'm sitting at 53 and I'm not letting it go. Well, so I said to Donovan earlier, you know, you know, being able to look back now on that photo and say, you know, Sherbet, that's, that's, that wasn't good. You know, there, there's, some, there's some sort of acceptance that's, that's arisen, which, you know, I'm not drinking anything, but to go back on that would be very, very difficult from a psychological perspective, to fall back into mm. where you've come from. Yeah. You, I mean, you might wobble, obviously. You know, people with depression, anxiety, all these things, of course. You know, you, you wobble. Things trigger. We don't know what our breaking points are. But to go back to that now, um, we, I suspect would be hard. It will take some effort. It will take some effort. You can do no, it. I won't. <laughs> well, guys, we're not going to solve this overnight, but hopefully for the listeners out there, it's touched somewhere, th- something with yourself or a member of your family, whether it's just a light thing like taking criticism badly or whether you can recognize the symptoms of weighing everything you eat. Um, it's unhealthy and we live once and balance and calm are always seeking in turbulent times. So um, Donovan, thank you once again for coming. Trevor, for moderating and being with us. And I'm certainly learned a lot from what you've said now. And same thing from Donovan. I also don't feel so bad because I'm looking at Donovan thinking there's so much in common and I'm like, he's going through it. I'm, I'm doing the same on a much less visible or less grand scale. And I'm sure the listeners are experiencing the same. So uh, thank you, guys. That was very worthwhile. Thanks. Thanks, Thank you. This conversation was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground, where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial.